Hey, what's going on guys? My name is Dan and I want to welcome you to church this morning. I hope you guys are having a great day so far. Well, it's been an interesting week as we've had to change course on our services, but we are thankful that we can be back to in-person even at a limited capacity. It's been a while, so I'm going to go over a few things to help you remember. We would ask, just like before, that you register for every other weekend, at least to start, to allow everyone the opportunity to attend. With step two of the government reopening plan, which should be around July 4th, we're hoping that we can increase our capacity so more of you can come out each week to worship together. Remember, if you don't get into the main service registration, just scroll down the page to our simulcast registration. That way, you can still come out and join together with others watching the service from another large room in the building. And if there's room in the worship center, we'll bump you up. All right, next up, youth grad. Are you in grade six through 12? Well, this message is for you. Join us Wednesday, June 23rd from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. for our youth grad outside. We're thankful that we have the ability to close out this year in person. Please be praying for nice, sunny weather so that we can do grad with both our junior and senior high school students. If we're not able to meet outside due to weather, our backup plan will be to invite the senior high school students only. And the junior highs, well, they get to watch the live stream from home. Our building is not able to accommodate all of our youth at the limited 15% capacity, which, when you think of it, is an amazing problem to have. Jeremy, our youth director, will let everyone know via social media and email on Tuesday, June 22nd, if we have to use the backup plan. We're looking forward to worshiping together with you grade 12 students one last time. Well, that's all the announcements I have for you today. I hope to see everybody here at the building sometime soon. And as always, take care and God bless. I'm not able to be with you today as I have a few weeks off, but I assume by now most of you have heard that we had to cancel our plans to hold outdoor services uh, for the summer. Our team has done some amazing work in seeking to make this happen. Many plans were worked and reworked, adjusting as we dug into the various issues and tasks requiring solutions to make it happen. We're very thankful for the wonderful homeowners who were graciously offering hundreds and hundreds of people to descend on their property for services. We're thankful for the provision of a massive tent for our services. We're also thankful for the many volunteers who worked on this and so many more who were willing to help out. We're also thankful for their staff, who many of who have been working on this for a lot of days, trying to work out all the details. We tracked down the main showstoppers right at the beginning of the process, and then we worked out problems and creatively sought to work on the solutions. I do apologize, however, that one large issue was overlooked by us. I should say we made an assumption about it, and this came back to be our downfall. I apologize as this has caused so many of you to get so excited about this gathering on Sundays with no mask, worshiping together, enjoying fellowship, and then to have it all taken away. In the end, the issue that with the location, as well as most locations that could ha handle our numbers, is that the zoning in the City of London does not allow religious services, even if it's just for a few weeks, even if outside, even with homeowner permission, it would violate the bylaws in London. And so we've had to seriously assess the ability of doing services in our parking lot. As some have suggested, uh, we have zoning here, but for a number of reasons, that's not feasible. 
There are perhaps a few locations around the city where it would have the proper zoning for a church service, but it wouldn't hold the volumes of people and cars we need and physically distanced. Based on our surveying we conducted about our summer services, we think about as many as 1,100 were planning to come. And it would have been great to see all your faces again and to worship together. However, it seems the Lord had other plans. And just as we were making the decision to not move forward, realizing the zoning and parking and neighbor and noise and size limitations that made this really undoable, our provincial government changed their reopening plans in a good way. Monday midday, we found out they're bumping up the start of step one. Plus, they changed step one to allow for 15% indoor, in-person worship services. Step two was also changed to allow for 25% in-person, indoor services. So in light of our zoning issues and the other constraints on doing a larger outdoor service, combined with the timing of the enhanced and advanced reopening criteria, we've decided to start this Sunday with live in-person services at 9 and 11.15. We're limited to 15% capacity for today, and we think this will be true for the 20th and 27th as well. At that point, we should move into step two and we'll jump to 25% capacity. And then likely that'll last about three Sundays, and then hopefully we'll be able to go to larger numbers. And please be praying about that. Most of you received an email or saw social media announcements earlier this week about in-person this Sunday. That's why some of you are here. That's why we're not doing outdoor services. But I just wanted to speak to you on behalf of the elders to apologize for the about face on outdoor services. We also wanted to verbally express our gratitude to God for all those who worked and prayed to make this happen. And we want to express our thankfulness to him for starting the in-person services today. And Lord willing, as the weeks progress, we'll see these include more and more people until hopefully soon we can have everyone back in full worship services in our church, worshiping our great God together without mass or without distancing. Please, Lord, would you make kindly make this happen sooner than any of us could have imagined. And we look forward to seeing all of you here, Lord willing, in the near future. Well, we're excited to see you here, real live people, humans in this space. Are you excited to be here this morning? Praise God. Come on, let's all stand together. A shout out to all of you online. We're still the church. We're still here to worship the Lord together. The psalmist calls us to worship this morning. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Who is mighty? Who is mighty are you, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? And this is for us here in person, here online. We, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Come on, church, let's shout it out. Let's sing to the Lord this morning.
there's more to come. for your faithfulness this morning. Thank you so much for being able to get together. separate even if I ran away your love never fails I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails 
Have a seat. Good morning, and my name is Ian, and I uh, just joined up uh, with the church recently in the last few months, uh, serving with you on your pastoral team, and it is uh, good to be together. 
It's been a pretty gut-wrenching week uh, as we live in the wake of what happened last Sunday when those uh, five London family members out for a walk were attacked and four of them killed. And we want to, together this morning, as a local body of Christ, to pray for those who continue to live in the agony of that event and now to pour out our hearts to our Father on their behalf. We have access to him because of the blood of Christ. That's a great privilege, a great gift, his blood shed on our behalf. So why don't you join me now and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we are no strangers to evil or to hatred or to injustice or to sin. We confront these things daily in our own hearts and in the hearts of those we know and love. But what happened last Sunday to that family is particularly jarring in its wickedness. You made every man and woman in your image. And so it is that no one deserves to be run down in the street like that poor family was. It is a cruelty beyond expression. We are angry, we are scared, we are sickened, we're saddened, we're shocked. We know that you say in your word, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. And you say, do not murder. And so we know that you grieve as you watch the city of London today. And we remember together and we plead together for the compassion of Jesus to be known. Jesus, whose heart went out to the widow when he saw the coffin of her only son being carried along the road. Jesus, who told us that autobiographical story of a good Samaritan who cared for a stranger struck down and dying on the street. Jesus, whose compassion for sinners led him to the cross. We pray, have compassion, Lord, this day. Look on the young boy who survived this attack and show him mercy. Look on the relatives of those who were killed and give comfort. Look upon our Muslim neighbors, our police force, our public servants, all of those who are connected to the victims and the perpetrator who are still reeling from this. And we ask for your gracious help for them, Lord. Our hope is in you. As the psalmist says, by day you command your steadfast love, and at night your song is with us. You are the God in whom we take refuge. You are our rock when everything is in turmoil. And you are just. You hold all people to account. And one day you will make all things new. You will make all things right through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We long for that day. So we ask on this day, would you free us from wanting revenge as we look at these events? Would you also free us from callous apathy? Lead us in faithful witness to Jesus as agents of peace and hope through our city. Replace our fears with faith and give us wisdom together as a church. Give us wisdom to know what it looks like in our day to love mercy, to do justice, 
and to walk humbly with you, our God. We ask these things in the great name of Jesus. And together, let's say, Amen.
everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. Holy, there is none one like you, there is none beside you.
for your patience with us again and again you remind us of this foundational truth that our lives won't be shaken in any kind of storm when we put our trust in you Jesus we thank you for that many of us are so exhausted and tired and we desperately need rest rest in you Just help us to hold your name above all names. Lift you up because you deserve it. And this is a safe place for us. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Good morning, Redemption Bible Chapel. It is good to be here. It is a delight to be with you. And if you are anything like me, 
and I'm going to guess you're a little bit like me. You've got a hundred and one different things running through your mind this morning. Uh, many of us come, whether it's here physically, at home, watching, we gather, and uh, we're rhyming off in our minds uh, a list, a host of personal problems, struggles, circumstances. And undoubtedly, many of us on top of that list of personal struggles, we're continuing to labor under the heaviness, the weightiness of this pandemic, although there does seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And then you add to that the past couple of weeks and what has been in the newspaper headlines concerning the residential schools and uh, some of these unpleasant components of our own history that we need to grapple with as a society. And now this past week and this hate crime and what can only be described as a horrific, horrific incident and a horrific ordeal. And as all these things are crisscrossing, zigzagging in my mind, I can, I can say uh, there is no place I would rather be today than right here with God's people. Uh, worship and gathering to worship and having a few moments to filter everything and process everything that's going on through God's Word, through the proclamation of the gospel, and through the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so that's our ambition today. That should be our ambition every Lord's Day, that truly the God of hope, our God, our triune God, might fill us with all joy and peace in believing, no matter what's going on in life. No matter what is transpiring around us, that our God of hope might fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we as His people might abound in hope. And so that's our ambition. That is our Christ-exalting goal this day. And to that end, I invite you to take your Bibles, God's Word, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Have you ever been to an audiologist? I'm sure some of you have. I never have. But I understand that when you go to an audiologist, because you've got some sort of hearing impairment, hearing loss, hearing issue, hearing problem, that the audiologist will basically walk you through three steps. Uh, step number one, he or she will examine your outer ear, right? He's looking for blockages, wants to make sure none of the kids slipped a marble in there while you were sleeping the night before. Is there something going on there externally, the external ear that is causing this, this problem, this issue? And then from there, he will move, secondly, second step, to the inner ear, and he'll look at the eardrum, 
and all of those other things. That's the extent of my technical language. That's what he gets paid for, right? He knows what's going on in there. All those little bones, all those other pieces that make up your inner ear, that make hearing, listening possible, he will examine it all. And in the third step, he will put some sort of earphones on you, and it will drown out all external noise, and then he will send different impulses, tones, whatever to your ears. You will signal with your thumb up, or maybe by pressing a button or something like this, when you can hear, he will trace it, track it all on an audiogram, and then having walked through those three steps, the audiologist will assess your hearing, determine the problem, and prescribe hopefully some sort of remedy. Well, we are not going to examine our external hearing today but we are going to test our spiritual hearing because it is precisely what the Lord Jesus does in Matthew chapter 13. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to go as far as verse 23, and you pay attention to the words, ear, hear, hearing. Here's the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, give me five minutes, or maybe a little more. We step back. 700 years before the Lord Jesus utters this parable, okay? So we are way back in history. The Lord Jesus speaks this parable seven centuries before. There is a prophet by the name of Isaiah, and in Isaiah chapter 6, we read that this prophet, he experiences an unbelievable vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, the king of Israel, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, right? High and exalted, lifted up, the train of His robe filling the temple. And Isaiah sees the seraphim, these angelic beings, with six wings, with two they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet, and with two, they move about in the presence of the Lord in this holy temple, and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full with His glory. And this great King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He commissions Isaiah and he sends him to the people of Israel. And Isaiah has a very simple message. It's this. We can sum it up in one word. Repent. And they refuse to listen. They've rebelled against their king. They have rejected the covenant into which they have entered at Sinai. And they are chasing after idols. And they are committing spiritual whoredom in the sight of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Isaiah goes with that simple message, repent. And the king sends Isaiah out again after a period of time because the people reject his preaching. And what is he to now say to the people? Interestingly enough, we don't need to turn back to Isaiah to find the answer because the Lord Jesus quotes it here. In Matthew chapter 13, look at what we read in verse 14. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, this is what Isaiah proclaimed, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, 
but never perceived. And as a result, because you have rejected this message, you have rejected your king, understand this, your hearts have grown dull. And with your ears, you can barely hear. With your eyes, they have become closed. Lest you should see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah, 700 years prior to the Lord Jesus. And now we move through those seven centuries we come to Christ Himself, and what we do, do we discover? We discover that this King, the Lord, who is high and lifted up, the train of His robe filling the temple, the threshold, the very foundation of the temple shaking, the one in whose presence the seraphim perpetually cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This king has now come in the person of Jesus Christ, the great king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who alone possesses immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, the creator of all things, who is absolutely transcendent above everything, has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. And the king is walking among men walking among His creatures, and His message echoes Isaiah's message seven centuries previous. And what is it? Repent! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the response is what? It is less than overwhelming. The religious leaders oppose Him and fight Him at every juncture and actually accuse him of serving Beelzebub, the devil himself. And the multitudes, well, there's some enthusiasm. Sure, who doesn't want to see a miracle? But they're really not interested in him. They're not interested in his message. And so their ears have what? Grown dull. Their hearts unreceptive. And now what was spoken by Isaiah 700 years previously. Oh, it is now fulfilled in the days of the Lord Jesus. Israel's past sin is their present sin. And the king himself has now come with the same message, repent. And they have rejected that message. And as a result, judgment falls upon them. And look at what the Lord Jesus says in verse 13. This is why I now speak to them in parables. It is a mark of judgment. And in Matthew chapter 13, the author Matthew brings together, compiles for us seven of these parables. The first of which is the parable of the sower. And here the Lord Jesus confronts head-on this reality of their hearing. The fact that they have grown dull. The fact that they have grown spiritually insensitive to the message He is proclaiming. 
And as we track with him through the parable of the sower, we can test our own hearing as the Lord Jesus takes us by the hand and walks us through three steps so that we can examine our hearing. Here is the first. Number one, does the Word penetrate your mind? That's the first test. Does the Word penetrate your mind? Look at what he says in the parable in verse 4. As he sowed, as the sower, the Lord Jesus himself. As he sows this seed, the word of the kingdom. As he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he sows it, what happens? Verse 4, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. What does that mean? We'll skip down to verse 19. The Lord Jesus interprets it for us. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and so the word doesn't even penetrate the mind, does not understand it, what happens? The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so the Lord Jesus is describing those individuals, past and present, who hear the preaching of the Word. They hear the gospel. And yes, some things might compute, but in actual fact, they don't really get it. They don't really grasp it. And it's like this seed that is sown that just sort of lays there on the path. And so about a month ago, I, I, have, a, I have very patchy grass at home. And so I decided to buy some seed, and out I went, and I just kind of threw this seed everywhere. And half of it landed where? On the driveway. What happened to that seed? I don't know if the birds ate it or the wind blew it away, but there was nowhere for that seed to go. It's impervious, impenetrable. The seed is not going to enter into the driveway. This seed will not enter into the path. It does not penetrate the mind. Why? Because on the part of those listening, there is no perception as to their need for what they are hearing. You know, it's like 6 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. You're sitting down for your supper, right? And the phone rings, and it's a 188 number, and you don't know why you do it, but you answer it. You, know, you, think, you think you'd learn by now, but you answer. And it's somebody on the other end talking a mile a minute trying to sell you something. And, and, and you're just waiting for that individual to stop and take a breath, right? And, and on it goes, on it goes, on it goes, on it goes. Finally, there's a pause, and you're able to say, Uh, sorry, I'm not interested, and you hang up, and you return to your table. Your wife, your husband says to you, who is that, dear? Uh, I have no idea. Somebody trying to sell me something. What were they trying to sell? I haven't a clue. Why? Because you weren't listening. You weren't listening. Why? Because you weren't interested. There was no connect what I need, what they're selling. You just turn a deaf ear, just waiting for a moment to disengage from the phone. Do you remember flying, being on an airplane? It's been a long time, right? But you remember walking onto the airplane, you remember sitting down, and you remember that stewardess, as you're taxiing out to the runway, what does she do? She gets up, and there's this announcement concerning what? Oh, the exits, lights, something falling from the ceiling, 
a tube you're supposed to blow in if you need the life vest, something like that, right? But you know how it is. You're already nose deep in your book as that announcement's going on. Either that or you're already sleeping. You're out. Why? Completely disinterested. This is the seed that is sown along the path. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't enter in. There is nowhere for it to go. Why? Because the individual does not get, does not appreciate, does not perceive their need for it. They are, in a word, spiritually comatose. They are sleeping and unable to discern the significance of what they are hearing. We disengage when we are not interested. And we are not interested when we do not perceive our need for whatever it is we happen to be hearing. There was a terrible incident some years ago now. I think it was 98, 99, a famous golfer who shall remain nameless. He was a believer, so I trust he's with the Lord. But it was a a tragic, tragic incident. Uh, He died in a plane crash, a Learjet. And the cabin... The plane lost um, air pressure, and um, everyone just fell asleep, unconscious, in this plane. And obviously, the plane, the, no, the air traffic controllers lost contact with the pilots, and they scrambled a couple of jets to, to go up, track it, find out what was going on. And these jets got close to the plane, and um, they could see people through the windows, unconscious. And afterwards, one of, the, uh, one of the pilots of one of those jets penned the following, oh, it is a very helpless feeling to pull alongside another aircraft and realize the people inside are unconscious, and there's nothing I can do physically from my aircraft, even though I'm only 50 feet away, to help them. No sense of urgency, no sense of of eternity, and it results in this spiritual unconsciousness, if you like, as the path, that which is hardened, that which is impervious, insensible to what they are hearing. I know, that that could be you sitting there. It could be somebody watching from home. and so let me do this. Let me take you back to chapter 3. Just, just flip back there for a moment and look at what the Lord Jesus says. Let me just take you to four or five passages of Scripture earlier in Matthew. And, and hear these, please. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? Now notice the phrase, from the wrath to come. You got that phrase? The wrath to come. Skip down to verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. John the Baptist speaking of the Lord Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. Go over to chapter 5, verse 29. 
here in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. This is horrific. Go over to chapter 8, verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. One more, chapter 10, verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. These are horrific expressions, folks. The wrath to come, outer darkness, hell, the day of judgment. Uh, I, I think of my neighbors, can't help but think of my neighbors on either side of our home and uh, some of the conversations Allison and, I've, and I have had with them and you, and you try to just drop things, don't you? Just little, I don't know, statements to try to get a conversation going and, and sometimes you put out a very pointed question. I've even given books to both sides and, uh, and uh, whenever we broach the subject of the Lord Jesus or come anywhere near the gospel. Lovely people, lovely people, but the response is always the same. Uh, I'm not religious. I'm not religious. I'm not religious. Um, maybe that's you. Friend, you should be religious. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of wrath coming. We stand on the isthmus of life between a boundless eternity and there are only two destinies. And how this reality should awaken us from slumber, from this spiritual sleep to give heed to the Lord Jesus and to hear what He is saying. Oh, heed the warning of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 2, do you presume on the riches do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, not knowing that the kindness of God is intended to lead you to repentance? Every breath, every meal, every sunrise, every sunset, every good night's sleep, every relationship, every material blessing that we enjoy in life and we just go through life at times completely unaware of these things, they testify to God's goodness. They testify to God's kindness. They declare that He is a wonderful God and they serve one primary overarching purpose to lead us to repentance, to realize that we have sinned against this God. Oh, but the seed that falls along the path, there it lies. And the devil simply snatches it away. Why? Because it never penetrates the exterior. It never enters the mind. There's the first test. 
Does the word, does the gospel penetrate your mind? Here's the second test. Also by way of a question. Does the word capture your heart? Now look with me back at the parable, beginning in verse 5. Two additional types of ground, soil, earth. Fifth verse, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. So here we have something very similar. We have this seed sort of thrown on the patchy ground, ground that hasn't been prepared, ground that is, you know, it's just kind of there and exposed to the sun, and yes, it germinates quickly. The sun then just scorches it and burns it. And then that seed that is thrown among the dandelions, thrown among the, the weeds, and it really has no chance. Yes, it makes a good start, and then the weeds simply overwhelm it and choke it. What is the Lord Jesus describing here? What does he mean by these two types of soil? Well, he tells us if you glance at verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. There is no depth, but endures for a while. And what happens? When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. And so we have this seed. There's the sower. You can imagine him in your mind's eye. And yes, some of the seed falls along the path. And yet some of it does hit the earth. But the problem is this earth hasn't been tilled. It's patchy. It's rock infested. The seed is sown. Yes, it germinates quickly. It sprouts and grows quickly. Out comes the sun. It scorches it. Who are these people? Well, the Lord Jesus tells us well, there are those who might understand, yes, the preaching of the word of the kingdom. And they might show some initial excitement. They might show some initial enthusiasm. There might be some immediate application. And they make a good start. But it hasn't really captured their heart. And you know it hasn't captured the heart. Because at the first sign of difficulty, when problems come, when difficulties arise, when persecution and opposition rear their ugly head, what happens? Oh, they wither and they fall away. This is pliable. This is pliable in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. There's a classic pilgrim and pliable. They're friends in the city of destruction. And pilgrim, he is weighed down by this burden upon his back. It is conviction for sin. And he's pointed, he's pointed, and he's told to leave the city of destruction and make his way to the celestial city. He'll find forgiveness. He'll find the remedy for his sins along the way. Pliable decides to go with him. And off the two go. And before you know it, before long, what's happened? They've fallen into the slew of despond. They're in the muck and the mire. The way is difficult. Extremely difficult. 
And this slew of despond points to tribulation. It points to opposition. It speaks of persecution. And there they are languishing in this muck, the slew of despond. And Pliable turns to Pilgrim and asks him this, is this the joy you promised me? This is not what I signed up for. And Pliable turns around, walks out the back of the slough of despond, and returns to the city of destruction. Pilgrim will not turn around. Why? Because he has a burden on his back. He's weighed down by his sin. And he doesn't care what happens. He doesn't care what opposition he faces. He doesn't care how difficult life gets. He is a man on a mission. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And he is looking desperately for that Savior. You see, the word of the kingdom has captured his heart. But the Lord Jesus goes on, look, more seed, out it goes. And there it is, sort of thrown, sown among the thorns, the weeds, thistles, whatever you want to call them. And again, this seed germinates quickly. And it makes a great flourishing and a tremendous show in the beginning. But what happens? Oh, the weeds grow up and they choke that sprout. And it withers and it dies. Well, who are these people? Well, they're not those who fall away because of adversity. They are those who are drawn away by prosperity. It's Demas. Demas gets a tremendous mention at the end of the book of Colossians. Paul refers to him as a fellow laborer in the gospel, right? He gets another mention at the end of 2 Timothy. What's fascinating is this. Colossians is penned during Paul's first imprisonment. 2 Timothy during his second imprisonment as he awaits his execution. Something has happened to Demas between these two imprisonments whereby when Paul makes reference to him in 2 Timothy right at the end, he tells Timothy, he informs Timothy with a broken heart and with heaviness and weightiness, Demas has left me. He's abandoned me. Why? He's in love with this present world. Yes, he made a good, flutter, a good showing in the beginning, but the word hadn't really captured his heart. Has the word penetrated your mind? Do we understand it? Oh, my friend, has the word captured our hearts? whereby we esteem, in the language of the Apostle Paul, everything else as dung in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus. We're going to get there. I assume Pastor Norm is going to get you there later in Matthew chapter 13. Just look there briefly with me for a moment because the Lord Jesus expands on this in later parables. Look at verse 44 at what he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has. I'm willing to lose everything to get that field, to get that treasure. And in case we're slow in hearing, and we are slow in hearing, he basically repeats the same truth in the next parable, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. 
who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What, or rather, who is the treasure? Who is the pearl? Oh, it's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You know, you take that toddler, three years of age, four years of age, I don't know when the light goes on, when the penny drops, but it's certainly a three-year-old. You take a three-year-old, you sit her down there, him down there, whatever, and you offer that little tyke uh, the option. Would you like this toonie or 13 dimes? Which is he going to choose every time? The toonie or the 13 dimes? He's going to choose the 13 dimes. And you'll try to explain to that three-year-old, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The toonie's actually more valuable. It has more purchasing power. And the three-year-old will look at you like you're three years old, right? Mommy, something's wrong with daddy. He's trying to convince me to take one when I could have 13, right? What's wrong there? He has no appreciation of the true value of things. It's reminiscent. I read this a couple of years ago of an older lady there. She was in England just down, sitting down to a cup of tea and a scone or something like that, very British, and she had a friend over. They're sitting at the kitchen table. The friend looks up on the wall, and there's this painting on the wall. Apparently, it had been there for years. It's a Van Gogh or a Rembrandt or a Picasso. Those are about the only three I know. It's by some famous artist, and it's worth millions of dollars. And that little old lady, there she had sat morning after morning, year after year, absolutely no notion as to the value of the painting hanging there over her kitchen table. Does the Word capture your heart? Oh, the Lord Jesus proclaims, come unto me, all who labor, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because you see, when the word of the kingdom penetrates the mind, we're suddenly aware of our sin. We are suddenly very acutely aware of that burden upon our back, and we are looking for relief. We are looking for relief from our sins of omission, our sins of commission, original sin, and this principle of self-love that dominates our very being. And we're looking for an answer. We're searching for a remedy. And then we hear, he who is gentle and lowly, speak unto us, come unto me. Oh, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I referenced Pilgrim's Progress earlier. He wrote a second book. After he published that book, he took a lot of criticism for a number of reasons. One reason in particular is Christian left his wife and uh, family behind in the city of destruction, and some people were scandalized. But what happened to them? So he wrote volume two about Christiana, Christian's wife, and her journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And along the way, she's in the house of interpreter. And the interpreter takes her into this room. And in this room, there is this man, this older gentleman with what was called a muck rake. Just imagine something like a rake. You kind of rake the leaves in your front lawn, something like that. And he would use this muck rake each evening to kind of sweep out the pigsty or the barn or wherever it was. He was a peasant. Wherever it was, he was working. And he was just trying to gather up whatever sticks or straw he possibly could, some sort of bundle, so that he could light his little fire in the evening and 
and cook some little supper soup or something. And there he is, fervently at work, trying to gather up these sticks and straws. And, and, and there's Christiana looking upon this man. She can relate. She gets it. And then she sees another man. It's the Lord Jesus just standing above the first. And he has this crown in his hand. And he's offering it to the man with the muckrake. And uh, the man with the muckrake just oblivious, absolutely oblivious to what's going on around him. And Christiana turns to interpreters and says, well, what's this? What, what, what's going on here? And interpreter's response is simple. Uh, the man with the muckrake, that's humanity. That's the natural man. And there is the Lord Jesus offering him a crown of life. There is the Lord Jesus offering him forgiveness for sins. Peace with God. Peace with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Peace of conscience. Promises upon promises and the certain expectation of eternal life and the beatific vision itself. Here is the Lord Jesus offering all of this. It is the treasure it is the pearl of great price. It is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and the man with the muckrake completely oblivious. And as it strikes home, Christiana cries out, Oh God, save me from this muckrake. Oh, how many people today walking around with a muckrake? Not literally, but with absolutely no appreciation for the Lord Jesus the pearl of inestimable worth, the treasure of inestimable value, and this tremendous invitation to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does the word penetrate your mind? That's test number one. Oh, friend, does the word capture your heart? That is test number two. And here is test number three. Finally, does the Word transform your life? Go all the way back to verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You know by now where the Lord Jesus is going with this, but let's read it anyway. Right back there in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You know, I don't mean to upset anyone with this example, but I pray, I pray it helps. I pray it works. You know, just imagine with me that, that gentleman in his early 60s, let's say, late 50s, early 60s, way overweight. I mean way overweight. Blood pressure through the roof. Triglycerides, they can't even measure them. They're off the chart. Off he goes to his doctor, and his doctor runs a few tests, and his doctor just sits him down and stares him straight in the face. I don't even know how you're still living. Uh, you've got to make some changes, man. The smoking has to stop. Your, your diet has to, has to radically change. And exercise, at least a walk around the block, do something. 
Something has to change. Something has to radically change. Or, or, or I'm telling you, your, your days are numbered. And that man looks back into the doctor's eyes and says, Thanks, doc. Thanks for leveling with me. Thanks for telling me like it is. And yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make some changes when I walk out of here. And uh, out he goes and he gets in his car and the first thing he does is he lights up a cigarette. And then on the way home, he just happens to go through McDonald's drive through Big Mac, fries, chocolate milkshake. And gets home, sits on the sofa, turns on the ball game, and there he sits for three hours. Has that man heard anything? Despite hearing physically what the doctor has said to him, and despite acknowledging openly in the doctor's office, yes, I have a problem, has he really heard? No, what the doctor has said has not really penetrated the mind. It most certainly has not captured the heart, and you know it. Why? Because it has not transformed the life. A.W. Tozer penned decades ago, plain sense ought to tell us that anything that makes no change in the man who professes it makes no difference with God. To hear is to be transformed. It is to bear fruit as the Lord Jesus warned the Pharisees and the scribes back in Matthew chapter 3 verse 8. It is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we could go to the Beatitudes to learn more about that fruit. We could go to 1 Corinthians 13 to discover more about that fruit. We could go to Ephesians 5, but perhaps the best place to go is Galatians 5 itself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's the fruit of a transformed life. There's the fruit of a man, of a woman, who is one with Christ through faith and has come to life. There is the fruit in the life of that individual through which, yes, the Word has penetrated the mind and the Word has captured the heart to such a degree that the life is transformed. And that person is never the same. Oh, here are these examples. I, I heard these years ago from a preacher on the other side of the Atlantic. Let me introduce you first to Nancy. Nancy is a teenager. She attends worship at her parents' church because it's required. She doesn't want to be there. Her face is set in a permanent sulk, clearly indicating what she thinks of others. Her disposition transmits an unmistakable message. I do whatever I want. Her parents and siblings live in constant fear of her verbal barrages and angry outbursts. Then one day, Nancy is sitting under the preaching of the gospel with her face open, body relaxed, eyes eager, mouth smiling. What has happened? Nancy has heard the Word. It has penetrated the mind, it has captured the heart, and it has transformed her life. Let me introduce you to Fred. He's middle-aged. He's always wanted to be somebody. His wife, his car, home, clothes, children, 
must reinforce his sense of self-importance. He must always have the last word because he's never wrong. His soul is full of bitterness because he's convinced that he's the only one who recognizes his true worth. Then one day he becomes poor in spirit. He begins to dismantle all the vain trophies in his life because he no longer defines himself by these things. What has happened? Fred has heard the Word. It has penetrated his mind. It has captured his heart, and it has transformed his life. One more. Susan, she's entering her senior years, always in place on Sunday morning. She can sniff out a heretic a mile away, very quick to let people know when they haven't reached her required standards. Listening to her is like drinking vinegar. Then one day she begins to feel her heart sins. She forgets about all the things that annoy her. She's enraptured with the glory of God. She is filled with thankfulness. Her prayers become the stutters of a broken heart. What has happened? Praise God, Susan has heard the word. It has penetrated her mind, it has captured her heart, and it has transformed her life. And so, my friend, the obvious question is what? How is your hearing? Has the Word penetrated your mind? You really understand the gospel, you get it, and perceive your need for it. Has the Word captured your heart whereby you're prepared to lose everything for the Lord Jesus Christ? And has the Word transformed your life? I can think of no better way to conclude this sermon than with the words of the Lord Jesus in verse 9 of our text. He who has ears, let him hear. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that You would work mightily in our midst this day. We pray that Your Spirit might accompany the preaching of Your Word, and that truly we would be brought to a renewed and refreshed sense of our sin, appreciation for the Lord Jesus, and what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Him. Bless us from on high, we pray. May your kingdom in evidence and in fullness come among us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.
Go in peace.